going to get an update now on what's happening in, well, not just in Ukraine. That's part of our conversation here, but apparently in Russia itself. But I think the focus for a lot of people uh, for the last, I don't know, several weeks anyway, has been the city of Bakhmut. That seemed to have been the focal point for much of the fighting that was taking point uh, place. Uh, this morning, the leader of the Wagner Group, or the Wagner Group, or the Wagner Group, I've heard it pronounced many ways, uh, said that 20,000 of his men have died in the fighting around Bakhmut in recent weeks. Putin says it's 6,000. He says it's 20,000. Um, the latest reporting also claims that uh, Ukraine made some gains on the edge of the city. Russia says, no, they didn't. Russia says, we're fully in control of the city. Ukraine says, no, you're not. So there's a lot of, uh, he said, he said, when it comes to everything that's going on right now. Um, but let's try and get some insight and some detail on exactly what the situation is around not only Bakhmut, but also these cross-border uh, conflicts that are taking place inside of Russia. At least that's the reporting. So we're going to chat now with Oral Brown, who's a professor of international relations and political science at the University of Toronto and the Center Associate for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard University. Uh, Professor, thanks so much for joining us. I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Let's get started. Uh, first, uh, with the Bakhmut situation and this, who's fighting it? Let's start there. This this Wagner group or Wagner group that we've heard so much about, who are they at this point? It's a militia, right? Well, it's not a militia. These are private military contractors. And uh, this is uh, a group that was started by various people. Uh, <clears throat> Yevgeny uh, 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 Prigozhin claims uh, that he's the founder. He certainly is in control of it. And he is an oligarch uh, who has made a lot of money through his friendship with Vladimir Putin. And this group has grown in size uh, tremendously. They are active not only in Ukraine, but they have been fighting uh, in Mali and in other parts of Africa where they have gained access to gold and to diamonds, uh, which have uh, generated uh, a great deal of profits for this organization. You mentioned the leader, this Evgeny Prigozhin. Um, he's quite a character. What do we know about him? I mean, I mean, this morning he's saying things like we're going to see 1917 repeat itself, should Russia lose this, all, all kinds of things. What do we know about him personally? He is, uh, in the kindest term, a very colorful person. Yeah. In reality, he is a very sordid character who has a long criminal background, who then became an entrepreneur and started selling uh, uh, goods in restaurants and uh, catering, uh, and then received large catering contracts from uh, the Russian military, where he made many millions of uh, Dollars. He's very closely associated with Vladimir Putin, and he seems to enjoy getting publicity and poking at the Russian military, where he constantly rants about how inefficient they are, how they waste money and opportunity. He particularly seems to enjoy attacking the Minister of Defense, Shoigu. Mm -hmm. As well as the chief of the general staff, uh, General Gerasimov. And he seems to do so far with impunity, which means 
said he has the protection of uh, Vladimir Putin himself. In terms of their ties to the military and the military offensive at Bakhmut and everything that's been going on there and the casualties and the losses, who do we believe? How do we really know what's going on there? In any war, there is something called the fog of war, yeah. and we never are absolutely certain. So we look at the best possible evidence, and we look at organizations that seem to have a reasonably good track record. So if we look at what is published by British intelligence and Western intelligence services uh, and uh, reports from uh, newspapers, uh, which also have access to satellite uh, uh, imagery, it does seem that indeed uh, around Bakhmut, the Russians have lost easily 20,000 dead okay. and maybe 80,000 wounded. So the losses have been horrific. We do not know exactly what the Ukrainian losses are, but uh, it seems that they were also very heavy, though probably not on the same scale as Russian losses, because especially in the case of the Wagner Group, they used uh, uh, their troops or contractors with the more accurate uh, way to describe them as cannon fodder. I mean, I, I was going to ask you about that because I've read reports where literally they're, they're cannon fodder, and basically what it is is we have way more, right? almost an inexhaustible supply of these conscripts that we can keep bringing in. Ukraine doesn't, so eventually, sooner or later, we'll win this war of attrition. Is that how it's being played out? Well, this is the impression that Vladimir Putin tries to create. The time was, is, is on his hands that Russia has a vastly larger population than Ukraine. Ukraine is led by, according to Vladimir Putin, uh, a bunch of uh, uh, you know, drug-addled neo-Nazis. Ukraine is not a real country. Ukraine is not a real people. And Russia is entitled to rule over them. Uh, all of this is completely wrong historically and in every other uh, possible way. But Vladimir Putin does not have an infinite supply of troops. And this is why we see uh, the very poor performance of the Russian military, because they had taken heavy losses. They have had difficulty replacing those losses. The pervasive corruption throughout Russian society uh, has also reached the military, and that corruption has made them very inefficient. And Vladimir Putin had to try to get uh, new conscripts. So you will recall that last year he had uh, reintroduced conscription uh, uh, on a significant scale, and uh, 300,000 uh, men were conscripted uh, into the military. At the same time, perhaps as many as three times that number fled Russia. Fled, yeah. Uh, so uh, he is running out of uh, people whom he can draft. And if he tries to draft more, uh, there could be domestic problems. So precaution uh, provided a, a solution that seemed attractive, even if temporary, and that is to go into the prisons. And there are several hundred thousand uh, Russians who are in prison for various crimes from uh, relatively petty to very serious crimes. And what Prigozhin did was to promise them freedom. If they would join the military and serve for six months, uh, during that time they would also be paid extremely well by Russian standards. And then uh, uh, they would have their sentences commuted. So uh, tens of thousands of these prisoners took up this offer they were given very little military training, uh, a couple of weeks, thrown into battle, 
used uh, as camouflage to take uh, positions that had very little, if any, strategic significance. Um, and, of course, these troops also committed more and more war crimes. And there is a kind of perverse uh, irony here that uh, Russia, which claims to be fighting uh, a war for nationalism and for, uh, um, you know, orthodoxy and decency against a dissolute West, introduced tens of thousands of people who had been domestic criminals who now became involved in committing war crimes. So domestic criminals became international war criminals. And so this is why essentially the Wagner Group is a criminal terrorist organization. Let me ask you one more, and we're running out of time, and I do appreciate you being here. What are you, what are you believing, I guess, about these incursions into Russia that uh, Putin says he's he's fighting back as Russian or Ukrainian spies and 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 groups like that are actually taking the offensive inside of Russia? What do you know about that situation? These incursions have been relatively small, relatively close to Ukraine's borders. Uh, the Ukrainian government. Uh, claims a hands-off attitude. They say that volunteers who had uh, been fighting for Ukraine, and there have been thousands and thousands of Russians who came to Ukraine to help Ukraine because they were appalled by this uh, Russian aggression, that they had uh, conducted this operation on their own in the Belgorod because they would like to see a change of government inside Russia. Uh, they... Uh, argue that uh, these groups that uh, Vladimir Putin and his regime has been a disaster for for Russia. So uh, we don't know for sure if uh, this was merely the Ukrainian uh, government looking the other way or whether this is our uh, means of trying to send a message to Russia that Russian territory itself is not immune, that it's not a case where Russia can kill tens of thousands uh, uh, of civilians in uh, Ukraine with impunity, and yet their own territory is immune. It is a very muddied, uh, muddied area, but clearly it has raised the attention of the Kremlin. Uh, it is something that uh, Russia has to deal with. It shows that Russia is vulnerable, and uh, we are waiting for the offensive or counteroffensive that Ukraine has promised. So you have all sorts of political jockeying with each side trying to present the best yeah. possible image, and Russia tries to present itself as a victim. Yeah, that's the fascinating part of it. Uh, Professor Brown, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you being here.